Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. This will be a solo episode. Unfortunately, Tommy was unable to make it today. Uh, I'm just going to start off with just uh, a little bit of an A-side, and I hope nobody uh, is, is put off by this or, or rather takes it as, as an effort to be political. Uh, just to reflect, uh, I'm, I'm recording this on on the evening of the 6th, just to reflect a little bit on, on what happens today in our nation's capital. Uh, I know, I'm sure all of you have have heard about it or uh, have seen the images. And, and of course, it's a horrifying situation and one that I imagine leaves a lot of us wanting to lash out at somebody. But uh, I just want to urge everybody, especially at times like this, to focus not on what divides us but on what can unite us, which is our fundamental decency and our respect for other humans. Uh, venom only begets more venom. And the only through togetherness can we really bridge whatever gulfs, uh, uh, whatever gulfs exist between us. And uh, I've, I've got what I feel is a quote that's that's relevant to the situation from uh, from Abraham Lincoln, I think is one of the one of the greatest presidents in our nation's history. Um, many of you have probably heard this, but I'll repeat it anyway. Uh, it's, it's, we're not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies, though passion may have strained. It will not, or must not break the bonds, our bonds of affection. Uh, the mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched, as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. So, uh, just wanted to to share those sentiments with all of you. So. I hope you're all staying well and uh, that you'll um, act with kindness uh, to all the people around you. So all that said, let's move on to the Pistons. Uh, this episode really isn't going to be replete with positivity. Um, you know, that's that Tommy and I really, we're really just all about telling things how we see it. So it's, it's not like any particular episode is going to be geared toward positivity. There are things to be we feel happy about them. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, of course, we want there to be things to, to be happy about. Of course, that's preferable. You know, if, if that's the case, then fantastic. Um, often isn't isn't often the case with the Pistons, but if it is, then yay. But it's not the case today. The first bit of news, of course, is the is that the injury to Killian Hayes, uh, the torn labrum and a hip. So we don't yet know the severity of it. It's been reported that there's no underlying structural or vascular damage, which suggests that it may not be a severe tear, which is good. If it's not a tear that, if it's a tear that that uh, that can, they said they're confident it'll fully heal. Uh, if it's a tear that's not going to necessitate surgery, he might be he might be back within a couple of months. Um, it's a severe labral tear is a horrible injury. Uh, it's sort of akin to it, it. It can be roughly akin in. in an impact to tearing one's Achilles. Uh, it's very difficult to come back from that. So hopefully that's not the case. The early reports are pretty good. Of course, you would have preferred he didn't tear his labrum at all. <laughs> um, some of you probably have heard about the issue with, uh, that that was the issue with Isaiah Thomas as well. He did have a labral tear in his hip. Uh, he also had, uh, I believe I'd, I'd read up on this earlier today, uh, some issue with bone fragments or something like that. Also, he played on it in the playoffs. So there was kind of some greater severity there. Killian also has the advantage of being very young with, with much less in the way of wear and tear on his body. So uh, we'll all hope, hope for the best for him, uh, not just for the sake of the Pistons, but, but for Killian, who seems like, um, it seems like just a really good guy. 
uh, unfortunate, disappointing for all of us. I'm sure I can only imagine what what he must have felt after getting that result. Uh, it's just, um, you know, you, you do all this work to get into the NBA and then you suffer a potentially very severe injury only seven games in. Uh, it's it's um, got to see your, kind of your dreams flash before your eyes. So I uh, hope for his sake that, you know, I'm sure we're all hoping for the sake of the Pistons as well that uh, that he's doing, uh, you know, that, that, that'll recover from this. But, uh, you know, it's, it's best, I think, to reserve judgment uh, or not reserve judgment. Wait, wait and see until until we know more. So there is that. Uh, now, I'm recording this directly after the game against the Bucks. Uh, I just some of my observations about this game. I, I'm, I'm, we're really not in the business in this podcast of, of recapping games, but uh, can kind of use what happened in this game as is a microcosm for some of the less good things that have been happening with the Pistons throughout the course of the season. Uh, one, of course, is Blake Griffin, who has been abominably bad, like absolutely terrible. The Pistons have been uh, enormously worse with him on the floor. Uh, this is not Blake's fault. Uh, though, you know, there, there were a couple of games in which he was shooting more than I would have liked. The Pistons don't really benefit from, from Blake doing that, but uh, he's a great player and a super hard worker. And by all accounts, a great teammate who has had his career undone by injuries. And uh, it's, it's sad, uh, you know, as much as people, you know, as much as I think it's, it's easy to look at him and get upset because the guy's making $36 million. It's, it's worth bearing in mind that none of this was his fault. He's he's had injuries, uh, issues with injuries for a long time. He had issues with that left knee in college. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's had four surgeries on it. Uh, you know, he's he's just had he's he's had other injuries as well. Um, just all sorts of problems with his lower body, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, though he did adapt his game over time uh, to uh, not only to fit the modern NBA with uh, with spacing being so important, but also to account for his lack of for his decline in athleticism. Because Blake used to be in, uh, one of the most athletic players in a league that wasn't quite as athletic as it is today, but still was very very athletic. Um, you know, go back and if you want to see uh, for those of you who haven't seen what what Blake could do back then, just, just go back and look. As is really he was really was something else. So uh, he did adapt his game, but unfortunately, your body sometimes just is not going to cooperate. The NBA is a very, very competitive league, and Blake is dealing with a body that's no longer really cooperating. You got to be able to keep up, and and it's not Blake's fault that he can't do that. But he he just uh, maybe things will improve, but really he's not looking much better than he did last season. Uh, he can't score on the interior at this point. The bread and butter of his game, certainly uh, two years ago, was uh, for the most part uh, either pull up threes or driving, or uh, excuse me, pull up threes or or post up offense, which could come in the form of him getting the ball in the post, or very often him driving uh, into the into the interior and then posting up. Uh, and that is his tertiary form of offense was was actual, uh, you know, drive straight to the hoop. And he, his post-up offense has been terrible. Uh, he just, I don't know why, you know, maybe, maybe you just can't, uh, he can't bully people. I mean, the thing about Blake is that he's a little archaic at his own position. He's, he's pretty slow to be playing forward these days. He's actually best suited probably physically, uh, even a couple seasons ago to playing center. And also that solves some of the issues with spacing, you know, that 
well, these were self-inflicted by the Pistons. So the, I guess he was playing with Drummond before who can't space. He's playing with Plumlee now who can't space. And that's not ideal. If you play him at center, you're probably going to have shooters at the other four positions. Um, but nonetheless, he can't play center because uh, from very early on in his career, he's been hopeless as a paint defender. So, yeah, uh, he is uh, his his one advantage in that respect is though he was slow, he was he was actually because uh, your forwards like six years ago in 2014 you still had a great deal of non-shooting power forwards guys who were pretty beefy and um and couldn't shoot and uh, and and you know it, it not 3 years later they had all moved to center learned to shoot or were out of the league uh now Blake of course was an exception to that he also he did learn to shoot of course and that's so it's not so much an exception but he did learn to shoot and as forwards became smaller and quicker uh, because the, the forward position now is really uh, is very much a combo forward position. Uh, you either your forwards uh, can either play both forward positions, or they play it, or their wings play at shooting guard and small forward. Or you have the rare guys who can play from shooting guard up to small forward. Oh, excuse me, shooting guard up to power forward. Uh, Blake's kind of archaic in, in the respect that he's position locked in that one position, and he's not very limber. And uh, like he really did, he struggled as a defender two seasons ago too. Even in his all his his last All NBA season. So, but his advantage was that as as the league grew kind of sleeker, he was you know progressively the the gap in strength and weight between him and the guys he was facing off against at his position grew. So he was able to bully people. Uh, he was able to bully people in his younger days too, but. Uh, you know the the size advantage generally between he and his opponents. Well, you know, two seasons ago was was pretty significant, not necessarily in terms of height, but certainly in terms of uh, strength and mass. And uh, yeah, so but now he, uh, despite that advantage, he's really struggling to 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 dominate anybody in the post. And is it because of lift? Is it because of power? Whatever. He just he can't do it. It's not working. Uh, his his efforts to drive to the basket, he barely tries, and and when he does try, it's generally out of control. He he can't really bully his way past anybody. The kind of mini crossover, or not so much crossover, but uh, sort of uh, you know he had his moves he did on the way to the basket a couple of seasons ago. He can't do those anymore, apparently, because at least he hasn't been. Uh, this pretty much reduces him to the level, you know, just to pull up three point shooter, and and outside of that game. Uh, you know, he's, he's made 13 threes on the season uh, out of 39 attempts so far. And eight of those came in that one game against Cleveland. So uh, aside from that, uh, you know, he's, he's five of 29. I, I can't remember right now if Blake has played. I think he's played five games. Uh, if I'm right about that, then uh, outside of the game against Cleveland, he's averaging one and a quarter threes per game. Or excuse me. Uh, yeah, one and a quarter threes per game. He's, he's five of uh, five of 27. So. He's, he's not really even been very good at that outside of that single game. Uh, he's a disaster on defense. Uh, he just, he, he, he's not fast enough. Uh, in today's NBA, the reason you don't really see these lumbering centers anymore is that you're in, in offenses that move very quickly against offenses that move very quickly and focus on switches and, and really target you. Uh, if you're slow or uh, it's just, you got, you got to be able to move quick now and Blake can't do that. 
he he uh he can't really switch he can't help uh if he's if he withdraws toward the paints to try to help on a uh on a guy driving in he has no hope of making it back to the three point one uh in, in terms of a kick he his defensive instincts have never been great to begin with he's just really bad on both ends of the floor still an able passer but doesn't draw anywhere near the gravity he did before and He's pretty much good at nothing. And also just by the, the nature of Blake, there was always an opportunity cost to having him on the floor uh, as he grew more ball dominant. And that's that you have to play your offense around him. There is no other choice. You have to play your offense around him. He also, you know, the, the way he plays, he can't really participate in a modern offense. He's a ball stopper. And and pace is going to plummet. You're, you're not going to be able to run that sort of uh, really, not so much freewheeling, but uh, an offense that emphasizes heavy ball movement and off ball screens in order to generate uh, either advantageous matchups or create lanes to the baskets or create open three point shots. You can't do that with Blake. He gets the ball. He's going to hold it for a while. And, and that makes him, you know, you really want to bring these young guys up in a modern offense and, and with Blake, you just, you can't do that. So that's real bad. Uh, it's, it's hard to see the capacity for much improvement because the problem is his body. You know, he's, he's, like I said, he's played, he played away in a way a little bit uh, early on in the season. I didn't like just taking too many shots because it's like, you know, this is not the point in this rebuild for you to take, you know, a zillion shots, but uh, whatever the case, it's just hard to see things abruptly improving uh, for him physically. Maybe it'll happen, but this is a guy who's been in a protracted physical decline for the last going on six years. So, and, and he had a year to recover from that last surgery. So, and, you know, and, and the, the surgery he had after the season, you know, in, in the 2019 off season was his third surgery on that same left knee, I believe. And then he came back and looked terrible the next season and then had his fourth surgery on that knee. So that's too bad. Needless to say the trade markets, uh, you know, unless there's significant improvement, no team has any reason to take any any chance on him, which leaves him around to uh, pretty much, like, I don't know how much of a mentor Blake really is since nobody plays like him anymore. He's kind of a unique player, uh, and that, which comes with a set of disadvantages, but it's like nobody really plays like him anymore. Uh, so he's pretty much around to... Uh, do what? Take up minutes and and usage and and not probably not be the greatest for this rebuild for development. Uh, it's been brought up by some uh, by Tommy. This was one of these brought this up that the, the moves Weaver made w- would have made somewhat more sense if Blake wasn't on the roster, but he is on the roster and yeah. So that's a shame. It was just reflected tonight in which he just got completely. He was, he was awful against the Bucks. I mean, he just he absolutely, they're one of the best teams in the league. He just couldn't play defense against them. Uh, he, he couldn't generate anything on offense against them. He was slow. Uh, he was just, everything about how he played was bad. So uh, that that's one thing. You've got next, and, and this is an upsetting topic for me, is Dwayne Casey. So Dwayne Casey in my opinion, has never deserved the, the, the plaudits he, he was given for the, the development of the young crew in Toronto. Uh, Casey defaults toward what he is comfortable with and what he is comfortable with is his veterans. 
Uh, he also will inevitably give his veterans uh, a due deference in terms of the minutes they get, even if it doesn't make any sense to do so. Uh, the bench, uh, the crew that developed into Toronto's future core of uh, of Powell and Van Fleet, Siakam, uh, Anunobi, and uh, there was also Pirtle and, and Powell as well. Uh, those guys really got their shots in, in 2017-2018 when Masai Ujiri, who is the GM of, of, of the Toronto Raptors, uh, I, I think you'll find many... No, whatever. I, I think he's one of the best GMs in the league. Uh, whatever the case, he got rid of Casey's bench veterans. Only CJ Miles was remaining. There are really only five veterans on that team between Ibaka, Valanchunas, DeRozan, Lowry, and, and Miles. And Casey had no choice but to play the young guys at that point. And uh, to round out his rotation, he, he just he had no choice. And... There's also the fact that Casey runs very simplistic offenses. You see it whenever Derek Rose is on the floor. He loves his ISO, uh, and he loves his it's just very simplistic one-on-one offense from his veterans. Uh, and and that, was, uh, that was just a characteristic of his – I know we talked about this last episode. It was just a characteristic component of his offense was Lowry and, and, uh, and DeRozan isolations, which he would continue doing on volume even when it really wasn't working, which was really bad for the Raptors in the playoffs. Uh, so in that season, in Casey's last season, that same season as as, uh, as the general manager got rid of uh, almost all of his veterans, uh, all of his bench veterans, uh, he also, Masai Ujiri, took away the offense from Casey because Casey is not a good offensive coach and his offense was lagging way behind the times. He gave the offense to form, he gave the formulation of the offense to Nick Nurse, who is eventually Casey's successor. And, uh, uh, and so those young guys also got to to play their part in a modern offense that that wasn't just based around uh, isolations and whatnot from veterans. Uh, so, you know, just if we're on the subject of Casey's quirks, I mean, the guy has weird vendettas against certain players. I mean, I know people bring up Seku, who hasn't been great this year, but it's like you'd like him to get more to get more run. He does have kind of half of Jeremy Grant and Blake Griffin ahead of him, but. Uh, he had Jonas Valanciunas, who is, is a pretty good scorer in Toronto. Is, you know, pretty good post scorer certainly. Uh, who he just constantly marginalized and never gave any really anywhere near enough usage to. I remember one game against the Pistons some years ago. He couldn't miss <laughs> because he he got that use. You know, he, he got those opportunities and he was obliterating uh, Drummond in the post. Of course, that doesn't necessarily require much doing, but especially back then. But Casey just didn't like him for reasons that nobody has really ever adequately been able to explain. Uh, whatever the case, yeah, those those were the circumstances under which the young guys developed. People point, you know, you can point at Lowry. Lowry was 26 when he came to the Raptors. He'd been a starter for two years already. Uh, he had five years, five seasons of NBA experience. He was a pretty good player already. Uh, yeah, he, was, he was not a young player. Um, Casey did give him the latitude to pretty much play however he wanted. And I think Lowry credits Casey for giving him that chance, but you know, it's, it's pretty easy to take a guy and who's, who's good at what you want him to do and say, okay, go, go nuts. And you had DeRozan who, who did become a good scorer, but <clears throat> was gradually outdated, had, had a horrible habit of checking out on defense, uh, persistently, um, persistently imploded in the playoffs. 
and, and ultimately after the Kawhi trade was, you know, despite being that same scorer who had been, uh, I believe, all NBA the season before, or third team all NBA, I think, uh, was uh, promptly forgotten because he's just not an effective scorer anymore. He's it, it costs a lot to take him out uh, to, to put him on the floor because he, he can't space the floor. He's only capable of certain forms of offense. I can say costs a lot, but there is a cost. It's tough to, he doesn't really fit into a modern offense. And uh, it's another thing under Casey, clearly never developed a three-point shot. So, and then also correlation does not imply causation. Just the fact that he was playing under Casey doesn't mean that Casey was responsible for all of his good development. It doesn't also, doesn't mean he was responsible for all the things that went wrong, but in any event. So what do we have with Dwayne Casey? Uh, We went over this before, uh, you know, just the, the awful favorite of the veterans given in the first two games. Uh, We're back to that tonight. He started five veterans. The youngest player on the floor for the first seven minutes of the game was was Jeremy Grant at 26. Uh, then you had um, DeLon Wright at 28, and the other three players were all over 30. Uh, you might be asking yourself, what purpose could that possibly serve in a rebuild? Uh, the answer is your guess is as good as mine, and Casey is not a good coach. Casey is the wrong coach for every situation. He was really incredibly painfully mediocre when the Pistons were trying to win. Basically his, his primary strategy uh, in that first season was Blake, take the ball and please, please do something with it. Because if you don't do that successfully, you're probably going to lose. Uh, generally, yeah, it would, <laughs> generally a lot of the other guys weren't even really moving off the ball. He would just keep drumming in the paint. Like, like the, 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 the pairing of Griffin and, and Deandre Jordan was really outdated even when, uh, you know, even in the last couple seasons, excuse me, and, and it was it was outdated in the last couple seasons they played together. Uh, how Doc Rivers made it work, uh, you know, even before that, with, with Griffin spending so much time in the paint and DeAndre being unable to shoot, was to have DeAndre be doing a lot of basket cuts so that Griffin wasn't facing off against uh, not only his own defender, but DeAndre Jordan's defender as well. Uh, Casey just stuck Drummond in the paint and was like, whatever. So Griffin often had to face off against two defenders. He started Bruce Brown, who couldn't shoot. Uh, so Brown's defender was free to sag off him by six feet and and just go bother Griffin instead. Uh, yeah, the Pistons had a really inefficient offense, you know, by true shooting percentage. I mean, part of it, Casey wasn't given the best personnel to deal with. Uh, you know, the roster was an abomination, but yeah, he was just, he didn't coach it well. Like... Early on in the season, he made the completely inexplicable decision to to, to continue posting up Andre Drummond, who at that point he's improved a bit, but uh, at that point was still the NBA's absolute worst volume post shooter of the previous four, uh, yeah, previous four seasons. Like Drummond is just comically that post scorer, and in case he's like, oh well, let's just do that. He'd give post offense to Drummond, and he wouldn't give it to Valanciunas. Uh, you know, Drummond was terrible, and Valanciunas was good at it. Um, he, he, he had his favorites. He loved Langston Galloway, who was a, who, who did better in the, in the fall in his last season in Detroit, but, and that season was horrifically inconsistent. Like, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, it's, 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 it's streaks, it's cold streaks would last like weeks at a time. Uh, but, you know, Casey still feed him usage. Uh, Bruce Brown, uh, you know, for a good NBA team would probably have not seen the floor in his first two seasons. Uh, with, with the Pistons, he got a major role in his first season. He was a good defender, but not an elite defender. He was incredibly foul prone. And above all, he couldn't shoot. Neither could Drummond. 
if you're putting only three shooters on the floor, you better hope you're the Warriors. <laughs> you know, you better hope you've got some incredibly good shooters on the floor, and the and, and the Pistons don't. I mean, running four shooters is, uh, is you know is an invitation to have many less options on offense and be easier to cover. Running threes, unless you've got all world talent on the floor, there is a death sentence for your offense. And uh, again, it was basically just Griffin just getting. Uh, just having to create something out of nothing and getting just beaten up in the process. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else was there? Um, it's slow to adapt, like always. That's one of the things that got him fired in Toronto. Uh, the man just doesn't adapt during games. Uh, he's, he's awful at it. Uh, the, the moments that a lot of people remember is when Kevin Love posted up CJ Miles, I think, four times over a short period. Uh, and scored every time because it's a massive mismatch. Uh, this was in 2018. And uh, Casey did nothing. You know, he didn't call a timeout until Love had scored like eight or 10 points. So, uh, like, I, I don't have the numbers precisely correct there, but it, it's just, it's a good example. Uh, and, and it's one, uh, yeah, it's one that's really pointed to is, is very characteristic of Casey and also. Uh, you know, characteristic of how bad his coaching was in those series against the Cavaliers for the most part, certainly in that 2018 series, that was a sweep. And that was his last, uh, this was his last games with Toronto. And then he won coach of the year, which I think it became very apparent after his departure that Nick nurse was the real coach of the year. Uh, and then Nick nurse did win coach of the year, uh, for the 2019, 2020 season. So yeah, what did Casey do tonight? Yeah. So first seven minutes, he just played those veterans. Uh, why would you do that in a rebuild? What point could that possibly have? Uh, and, uh, you know, th that lineup also, you know, it's the vast majority, vast majority of the first half consisted of five man veteran lineups. Uh, <laughs> vast majority. Uh, you didn't see one of the young players even hit the floor until seven minutes in. That was Isaiah Stewart. Uh, he was the seventh, uh, seventh person end of the game. Uh, after that, you saw, uh, you saw Bay. And um, Bay and goodness, why am I having trouble? Svi. And eventually, when Grant left the floor, Dumboya. Unfortunately, they were uh, on the on the floor with Rose. And so you had the young guys on the floor, but the offense, because Casey, I hate to put it this way. Sorry, this is grass, has his head up his ass. Casey, uh, basically, Rose, he lets Rose do whatever he wants. And Rose plays in, like, the most horribly anti-developing way possible, which is that uh, he he takes a pick early in the shot clock, and then he goes for his shot, period. That's it. So, basically, the rest of the quarter consisted of Rose bringing the ball up the floor, uh, and the four young guys would do nothing. Oh, excuse me. Isaiah Stewart would set the picks. So, Stewart would set a pick. Uh, Svi and Bay and, and Seku would just be standing still and Rose would go for a shot immediately. What could possibly, what could this possibly benefit? I mean, the Pistons aren't looking to win. You know, the, the winning is not the priority here. You sure you want to, you know, if you want to establish that winning culture, whatever, you don't want to get run over, but I mean, whatever validity that has, it's whatever it's this accomplished. No purpose to have Rose behave like this on the court. No purpose at all. The young guys don't get involved. They don't get to, to operate in a modern offense. Rose is, is hawking all the usage. You got to think Casey could say to him, Derek, please just try to get the young guys more involved. Uh, and if Rose isn't doing that, then that's a different issue. But I find it hard to believe that that would be the case from all we've heard about Rose. 
So as much as I can get irritated at Rose, I think the real culprit there is Casey. But he does nothing. So you had seven minutes of just five veterans. And then you had basically, uh, you know, then you had Stewart on the floor for one minute. And and then after that, you had more young guys on the floor, but it was just the Derrick Rose show and, and the young guys not doing anything on offense. And then you get back to the second quarter and the young guys just don't play. They don't. I mean, it, it's veterans. Uh, maybe they played a little bit, but it was it was the five veteran lineup just for almost the entirety of the rest of the quarter. And then he started that, and they got blown out. It's not just that it was veterans on the floor. They were terrible. The younger lineup was way better. Uh, but Casey came back with it in the third quarter. Mason Plumley only got pulled early, and Isaiah Stewart got to play. Oh, yeah, Okafor got to play in the second quarter over Stewart. Why? Why would any coach in his right mind do that? Okafor is a developmental dead end. Okay, I don't even know why he's on this team. Because he's the same player he was in college. He's a guy who's a fairly capable interior scorer, but he's slow-footed. He can't play defense. He's an awful passer. He stops the ball. He can't stretch the floor. He's got nothing to offer. I don't know why he was signed for two seasons. If you want to sign him as your third center on a minimum one-year deal, then go ahead and do that. That makes some sense, even though I'd rather give that spot to somebody who might have something to offer. Uh, but, you know, in any case, there's no reason for him to be seeing the floor. Isaiah Stewart has established that he's more valuable than Okafor already. And he has a place in the future. And, and Okafor, I'd, I'd be shocked if he developed any further. I'd be very surprised. So in any event, you get to the third quarter. And sure, Isaiah Stewart gets to come in fairly early. That's because Plumlee has four fouls. That's the only reason. Uh, the starters come in and play. The veterans play terribly again. And and then uh, you lose Rose. And then Casey in something that's characteristic of his time in Toronto, which is that he plays Saban Lee. And he plays Saban Lee because he has no choice. He only has two point guards. Uh, sure, he gives Saban Lee a lot of pull. I think the game is out of out of reach at that point. Um, but again, uh, you, you get a, you get a lot of run from the young guys. Like uh, Derek Rose just went out with a knee contusion, which basically amounts to a bruise. I doubt he'll be out any further, uh, you know, for 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 any future games. But yeah, Saban Lee gets this time because Casey has no choice. Uh, I, I don't doubt that if Derek Rose were still around, we we would have just seen him uh, on the court instead. Maybe you see some Lee, but not nearly as much. So you see the young guys play. Uh, this is Bay and Svee and, and Lee and Stewart. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it's either, it was Saku. They were in for a long stretch and they're playing better than the veterans. I mean, the, the game is, you know, they managed to narrow the gap a little bit on what was already a blowout and would have been way worse of a blowout if Giannis hadn't, which makes perfect sense for him. Uh, just, you know, given that it was a blowout, there's no reason to put that wear and tear on your body. He was just shooting threes and he's a terrible three-point shooter. And okay, so these guys are not only playing better than the starters, but they're young players who are part of the team's future. Okay, Jeremy Grant may be part of the team's future. Blake Griffin almost certainly is not. DeLon Wright almost certainly is not. Mason Plumlee almost certainly is not. Wayne Ellington absolutely is not. Uh, Okafor, I would say, certainly is not. Uh, so yeah, great. Uh, so even if these guys get blown out, the young guys, which, and, and, and they weren't, you know, they were, they were keeping the, the deficit at least somewhat steady though. The Bucks weren't really playing their, uh, their, their starters quite as much. They were, they were still seeing time. Uh, and you've got these guys getting valuable experience, uh, which is an absolute, uh, you know, versus what you saw early in the game, which is Casey for absolutely no point at which I can conceive, uh, just, just heavily leaning on his veterans. So, yeah, it's just the guy is a deeply flawed coach. 
this is a coach who, uh, who for the for the Raptors was a floor raiser, but that was it. He's completely unremarkable offensive mind. Uh, I would say bad personally, actually a bad offensive mind. He has horrible habits when it comes to to favoring his veterans, and uh, he he makes bizarre decisions. Uh, yeah, and in his last year, I mean, basically to, from his GM, and I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit, or certainly, you know, this is this is obviously not what was said, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it's uh, okay, Dwayne. Sorry, but uh, I'm taking away your option to play your veterans. You've got to play the young guys, and I'm also taking away the offense that's going to Nick Nurse. So these young guys are going to be able to play in a modern offense, as is everybody else. And oh, hey, look, we just had our best season ever. Uh, and then you get to the playoffs and he makes all of his old mistakes and, uh, and he, and he, and he gets fired and, and the Pistons then hand him $30 million. So, uh, I would like to see him get fired from Detroit. The man has nothing to offer. Uh, it's, you know, whatever plaudits he has, as, as a, whatever, whatever strengths he does have as a developer. And I don't doubt that he has some strengths. Uh, I found it hard to believe those couldn't be replicated by somebody else, somebody else who doesn't make. Doesn't doesn't do just such senseless things. Uh, I, I think Casey was bad when the Pistons were trying to win. There were better options, but the Pistons went with somebody safe, uh, which just really, <laughs> really just fit with uh, with that with that awful you know with it's just the mediocrity mentality of and instead of shooting for better, we're just going to go with the safe pick so that we can make the playoffs or whatever. Uh, he did a bad job then. And then, and he's doing a bad job now in a rebuild. I don't think the guy has anything really to offer the Pistons versus what it costs to have him coaching this team. Uh, I don't see what goes on behind the scenes, but I see what happens on the court. We all see what happens there. And a lot of what he does makes no sense. So yeah, that's Dwayne Casey. Uh, Just to segue into seven, Lee, it was nice to see him play. Uh, The kids certainly got, you know, rocket boosters on his feet. He's extremely fast. You saw some of what uh, he struggled with in college was actually, uh, you know, what he really excelled at in college was stacking the basket and drawing fouls. He, he drew a ton of fouls. Uh, what he struggled with is creating for others. You saw seven we kind of, uh, you know, it. he wasn't good at uh, at breaking down, at basically finding guys who were open. He kept passing to guys who were covered. Uh, he had some turnovers. Uh, he never, he only took one shot from the outside. That was another concern coming out of college uh, is that he was not a very particularly good shooter. Uh, he took one, three, it was one way off the mark. I'm not going to judge him on the basis of that. This is his first NBA experience, uh, but it was exciting to see. That's nice. And if you want to do something nice for your fans, also, you don't put out a bunch of washed up veterans, not necessarily washed up. Pardon me. Uh, Grant has been playing well lately. I'll get to that soon. Uh, but uh, a lot of guys aside from Grant who are, who are basically dead ends for this team. Uh, you know, it's like, do something nice for the fans, play the guys who they actually want to see. That would be nice. It's not a priority for a coach, but nonetheless, it was, it was the, it was for me, the highlight of the game and hopefully you'll continue getting time. There's absolutely with, with Killian Hayes out, there is absolutely and utterly no reason for him not to be getting time. Uh, you know, the, the only reason to not give him time is if it's going to stun his development. And I find it extremely difficult to believe that would be the case. So, uh, as we said, but Jeremy, you know, moving on to, as I said, rather, I'm used to recording this with Tommy. Um, so moving on to Jeremy Grant, uh, I'll give the guy credit. He's actually been doing pretty well with the Pistons. Uh, he has some bad habits. He needs to cut the, you know, the mid range, uh, mid range pull up jump shots out of his repertoire. Those are bad shots for almost anybody. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've got to really be an elite shooter to make those work. 
Uh, and, and often uh, it seems he just takes them because he doesn't want to pass the ball. Uh, he had in, until the last couple of games had one of the worst assist percentages. Assist percentages is um, what percentage of your team's uh, buckets you, you assist with while you're on the floor. He was basically just kind of a ball stopper. Uh, he wasn't passing off the drive and it's important to be able to pass off the drive because that, uh, you know, you establish yourself, you're a threat to score and that uh, creates opportunities when guys come, when you're on the way to the basket, uh, we'll, we'll come to try to, we'll double to try to stop you. And then you have to pass, but it also establishes that you will pass so that the, the opposition doesn't know you're going to drive in anyway. Uh, he's improved that a little bit recently. Uh, you know, he's, he's been pretty, he's been surprisingly able attacking the basket on his own. He did a very bad job, uh, creating offense in his time in Denver uh, last season, at least, uh, he was, he's very deeply inefficient. Uh, he's, he's pretty good at kissing the ball off the backboard. Uh, he's long, he's, he's getting better, uh, at kind of contorting himself to be able to, to, to score through, uh, through contact. Uh, he still takes some shots. He really shouldn't. He needs to, to learn when, <laughs> you know, creating offense, uh, you know, when you, where you kind of draw the line and say, I can't score here. I'm not going to give up the ball, but, uh, he's scored fairly well on decent, you know, on, on fairly good efficiency, uh, especially for a guy who's creating a, you know, a good amount of his own offense. He's played good defense. Uh, you know, he has played against, aside from the box, he's playing against some weak interior defenses, but he did pretty well at, in the second game against the box. He struggled a little bit in the first, but, uh, yeah. So more power to him. Do I think he's worth the salary still? Uh, not really. Uh, value isn't universal. You know, a guy, basically a, a guy like Grant's just playing for a team like Detroit, that's not trying to win. His contributions aren't nearly as valuable if he was playing for, a, you know, a team that was trying to win and sure all the points you're putting up, uh, sure. You're getting good value on that salary, but, uh, but you have to measure that for a rebuilding team against what you maybe could have done with the salary cap that he's, that he's taking up. Speaking of salary, there was a report today, and uh, came, I believe, from a guy from Yahoo Sports. Uh, can't say for sure. You know, you, you never know for sure if, if this was accurate, though. Uh, you know, it's he's not like this guy's not a slam dunk source. Uh, though it would it would be kind of uncharacteristic. This well, it's happened actually. I would say it'd be uncharacteristic for somebody to come out uh, on the national level and talk about the Pistons. Uh, you know, it's uncharacteristic for them to do that at all. Uh, but also to come out with information that's that's not actually true. Uh, but Vince Goodwill has done it. I'm 99% sure. Another guy, I believe, from Yahoo Sports, who's come up with a lot of a lot of stuff that was never corroborated by anybody else, like the Pistons trying to sign Van Fleet, for example, uh, and, and even before that. <clears throat> uh, whatever the case, the, the report was that Weaver wasn't willing to pay Christian Wood any more than eight million dollars, uh, which, if true, is criminal because that you know that's that's uh, that's less than he's paying Plumlee. Uh, you know, as we discussed in the last episode, I think it's pretty clear that that Wood would have stayed in Detroit. Weaver just didn't want to pay him. Uh, now, what Weaver is willing to pay him, that's open to you know, that's open to. Uh, it's a question, but uh, it's we've already you know I've, I've already gone on record saying that I think that's a mistake. So, you know, what what other takeaways? Were there, um, were there today? I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, the, the events of the day have kind of, kind of shaken me a little bit. So my train of thought is maybe not as quite as coherent as, as I would like it to be. Uh, but 
yeah, if, if, if we're just looking further at, for example, off the bench, okay, we can talk about Isaiah Stewart. And, and Tommy and I will talk more in depth about the rookies, uh, unfortunately, or about the young players, rather. Uh, unfortunately, there's one less of them to talk about now, but that's fine. Uh, not fine, but that is how it is. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, certainly uh, one of those maniacally hard workers who just, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, he's just, the, the guy's just uh, a super hard worker. Uh, and I'd say obsessively team focused, uh, has just this, this, uh, this super dense body that uh, allows him to establish position downloaded to grab offensive rebounds and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch him play. I would like to see him start shooting because right now he's basically just taking picks, uh, setting picks and playing garbage man with a little bit of post offense. And I, I think if he's going to establish himself, because here's, here's the trouble with Isaiah Stewart. Aside from his current inability to stretch the floor is that he is not a good leaper. He's not really going to be an above the basket player. He's not a lob threat. Uh, that really makes him less of a pick and roll threat. He hasn't been rolling hard to the basket either, though. I'm not sure if that is because he's not quick enough or just by design. Uh, whatever the case, I think uh, his offense uh, would really, really benefit from him. I mean, I, I think his offense will come from him being a shooter and him being a garbage man. So I'd like to see that from him. Uh, right now, he's super raw. You know, he's uh, it's, it's fun to watch, but in terms of his actual effectiveness, he's probably, I would say, certainly in the bottom half of, of backup centers. Uh, Bay has looked pretty good as a shooter from the exterior or from the perimeter. He's actually been very good. Uh, into in the interior, he's been a disaster, like to the effect of less than twenty percent. Uh, I wish he would stop. It's fine if he can't. Uh, here's the thing: you'll remember from if if you listen to our draft uh, our draft review about about Bay that he was a very versatile player in college because physically speaking, he was uh, you know he was he was of above average size, strength, and athleticism in the NBA. He's not really going to probably be able to be an effective post player uh, or or to attack off the dribble. Uh, he's probably just going to be largely a three-point shooting guy with with uh, with some ability as a secondary playmaker for others, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, he's been disciplined and judicious on defense. Uh, I wouldn't say he's been a, a nice surprise because I, I think uh, I was very confident that uh, that some of his skills would be translatable to the NBA. He's clearly very mature and he's and he's disciplined, and and that's good to see. Uh, Sfima Kyle uh, shook off an early slump and uh, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable that anybody slumps early in this season. Uh, also Pistons fans should have plenty of experience. We've been watching for a while, should have plenty of experiences, but it's a shooter slumping because Reggie Bullock was notoriously awful early in seasons. Terrible. Just, just dreadful uh, before going on to become, you know, later in the season, uh, that, you know, a really reliable three point shooter. Uh, Sfi is always going to struggle on defense because his arms are short. He's actually pretty athletic, but uh, he's got poor lateral mobility, though. He's got really short arms and, and so on and so forth. He's flashed a little bit of ability uh, as a guy who can score off the dribble, but I don't think he'll ever be very good at that. <clears throat> it's a really big disadvantage to have short arms. You know, it makes it finishing the basket is a lot more difficult. He's also just not a very good shooter off the dribble, though he's done a bit more of that from three-point range, but he kind of came alive from, from three-point range. I'd like to see him continue to get time. He might not be a guy who's in the Pistons' long-term plans, but he's, he's a guy who could be maybe a piece in a trade. Uh, guys who can shoot threes at a high percentage off the catch and also uh, after navigating around a screen uh, are going to, if they can shoot at a high percentage, they're going to have a long career in the NBA as long as they can continue doing that. Those are valuable guys. Uh, am I missing anybody? Uh, I think... Oh, Seku. Right. Uh, still looks very raw. 
basically, uh, and and even more than Grant's really, Seku is a severe ball stopper. Uh, when he heads to the basket, there is nothing for he is going to do except for try to score at the basket. And that often ends with him getting stuffed because he's he's not, I would say, great at, at uh, by any means at finishing through contact. Uh, he's, he's done okay. Uh, that was precise percentage. I'm not looking at uh, yet. Yeah, I could I could look it up. He's 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 done okay from three point range, I think. But uh, just on offense, he's been a minus. On defense, he's he's a little better than last year at using his length to length to disrupt people. Uh, but he's still kind of struggling in that end too. That said, I'd like to see him get more playing time. Uh, it's worth remembering with Seku, however, though, that, that when he was drafted, I mean, the understanding was that, uh, you know, that he might not be ready to contribute until 2021. So it was never, I think, in the team's plans, unless, unless they judged him ready to, to maybe even be playing him this year. So he's still raw. He's still young. It would be nice to see more from him. Uh <clears throat> One, yeah, it'd it just be nice to see more for him, from him, but it's one of those cases where I'm just not feeling very worried. Uh, I don't think there's anybody else really worth remarking upon. Uh, DeLon writes, the team has been sneakily way worse with him on the floor. Uh, Plumlee's been pretty mediocre, which, you know, is to be expected. He doesn't really have a ton to offer. Um, and, uh, you know, Ellington is Ellington. Uh, Rodney Magruder is getting playing time, which I think is completely unnecessary. We saw Servetus for 30 seconds. You know, give him a shot. Why not give him? Why is Magruder playing over him? Like, it's another thing with Casey. Why bother? <laughs> Rodney Magruder is a fringe NBA player who is 29. Uh, like, why should he be getting minutes over any young player? It's just one of those things. Where Casey was talking about, he was experimenting with rotations. It's like, dude, there's no experimenting with rotations with Rodney Magruder. There is just is nothing to offer. He has one season under his belt as a reliable three point shooter with Miami Heat. Uh, that is his only solid NBA campaign. Uh, he's a 29 year old who I believe has three actual real like uh, full length seasons in the NBA. And uh, if the Pistons had waived him, he would almost certainly not have a contract right now. Why is he playing over any of your young players at all? Why is he even dressing over any of your young players? Dress Frank Jackson over him. I mean, you don't have to worry about that now because the, uh, well, no, I mean, you've got 16 guys. Now you can dress 15 of them per game. Uh, with, of course, Hayes being number 17. Uh, so, yeah. No, really, I think further takeaways about this season at this point. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, this is a completely pointless statement, but uh, I, I hope it's not a pointless statement. I hope that Casey is not around past the season. I think the chances of him getting booted in the middle of the season are virtually zero. But uh, I'd like to see a new coach at the helm. Uh, I think that will only happen if Weaver really dislikes him. So, uh, yeah, that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, as I said earlier, I hope all of you are, um, well, I guess I hope always all of you are, are doing well. And, uh, and, and, you know, staying steady. So as always, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we will see you next time.